Thanks, Zip. Well, we're in, in the book of Ephesians. We've been there for a few, uh, few weeks, and we're going to continue uh, for the next couple of weeks. It's just been, it's been good. Initially, I was just going to touch base in Ephesians and move on, but uh, just feel like we're supposed to hang out here uh, for a little bit. So in last week, we asked the question, in light of who we are, uh, what do we do? And the week before, we said, uh, who are we? In Christ, Ephesians kind of lays out in chapters 1 through 3, because of the work that Christ did, it, it describes who we are as people. And so last week, we talked about what do we do in light of who we are. And one of those things that we pointed out last week was that followers of Christ pursue transformation. That's just one of the things that we do. Uh, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 describes it this way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's this pursuing transformation, this, uh, this putting off this old self and, and, and embracing and putting on this new identity, this new uh, creation that's made in Christ Jesus. And we talked about last week uh, just the, the, the process of that, that are, are we saved as in has been saved, we're being saved, or we will be saved, right? And, uh, and the answer was yes that we're saved from the penalty of sin when we give our lives to Christ and we believe in faith in his work on the cross. And, and that we're being saved from the power of sin in our life. And that's the, that's the pursuing transformation piece. And we're going to talk about this today. Two things I want to uh, uh, talk with you today about, and that's this. One, why would we do this? What is our motivation towards transformation. And then the second piece is, what are the tools of transformation? And so, uh, let's, let's just jump right in, because uh, what I found in studying Ephesians, which is why we extended it, was there's way more content than I have time uh, to communicate on Sunday morning. And then this topic is no different. The idea of transformation exists in almost every single New Testament uh, uh, book. Uh, there's a few short books that don't necessarily touch on it, but almost every single one of them talk about transformation in some way, shape, or form. So, why would we do this? What's our motivation for seeking transformation? And let's be real, we live in a culture that really looks down on transformation. We live in a culture that says, no, find the real you, embrace you, don't care what anybody says about you, uh, that's just you. But Scripture doesn't teach us that. Scripture teaches us that, hey, your old you, you need to put off, and you need to put on a new you. And you say, well, uh, that's a little bit crazy. Who determines the new me? Well, we would say Jesus Christ determines the you. But what would even motivate us? What would, what, why would we want to engage in transforming into anything other than who we are currently? I want to look at three things this morning. The first one, uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. 
And we said this, because, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and I'm going to pause there, as we said that God loves us, that's who we are. We're loved by God. And then last week we said, in light of that, what do we do? Well, we, we love in return. We love because he first loved us. And so God was motivated by love to show us mercy. God's motivation to show mercy was love. And so in light of that, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 says this. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which was motivated by love, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what's our motivation for entering into transformation? It's love. First, it's love for God because he first loved us. Right? It's just, hey, this is my act of worship. God loved me. So therefore, I'm going to allow transformation. I'm going to engage in transformation so that I become uh, the person that God would desire me to be. This is my act of worship, my love towards God. The Lord, I love you. I want to be who you created me to be, who you desire me to be. I want to put aside the old things that maybe uh, uh, bring you sadness, or, uh, and I want to put on the things that bring you joy and hope. Not, well, sorry, let me pause. We don't bring God hope. But we do bring God uh, a joy when we're living as he, caused, as he instructs us to live. So it's out of, our, out of our love for God, it's our worship to him that we engage in transformation. It's what motivates us, is our love for God. And really, we talked last week that our love motivates us in all things. It should be our underlying um, principle in all we do, that we're motivated by love in everything. It's also our love for each other that motivates us for transformation. Right? Because uh, almost all of, all of the things that we would consider sin can be traced back to, uh, to an act or a thought done against God or done to another person. Right? And so when, we, when we're motivated by love, I transform my behavior so, I, so one, so I'm pleasing to the Lord, and two, so I stop sinning against my brother and sister because out of my love. I don't want to sin against you and cause you harm. And so it's love that is a motivator for me to engage in transformation. I pressed pause on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, because in verse 5 it goes on to the second piece we're going to look at, and that's this. Uh, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And so he said last, uh, last week, well, two weeks ago, who are we? We're saved. We're saved from death to life. And that God did that. Well, how did God do that? Romans uh, 8, verses 9 through 11 says this. You, however, 
are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. What is all of that saying? Is that you have experienced the power of God in your life. When you're saved from death to life, God's power is at work in you. Right? It's quiet in here. We all were up a little late last night, a little cool, want to sleep in this morning. That's amazing to think about that the, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. And so what is one of our motivators of transformation? It's the power of God. When the power of God is inside of you and wants to work in you and through you, it motivates you, it leads you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus told us, will, will lead us, will guide us in truth, will lead us and uh, guide us in what is right and what is wrong, and will remind us of Christ's words, and it's the power of the Spirit who lives in us. And so when you've had the power of God uh, coursing through your veins, so to speak, it's a motivator to want to stay in that vein. I want the power of God to work through me and in me and out of me and all those kinds of things. And for the power of God to be released in my life, it requires transformation. And we know Christ is deposited into us when we, by faith, receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so the, the, the power of the Spirit is in you. But, but guess what? Uh, as the power of the Spirit works through you, through your transformation, it, it, it grows. I've been around folks who have allowed God to transform them, who just, the words that come off their mouth... Uh, convict me or encourage me or inspire me or change. It's just the power of God working through them. It's not them. And I've, I think if you've been around uh, church or Christianity at any point in your life, you've come across people like that yourself. Who just spending time with them, there's a difference. There's, man, it's not like spending time with anybody else in the world. I mean, I, 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 would, I would fly to conferences I would, I would drive full days to be and sit with somebody for a few hours of their time, right, to, to just soak in what they have because of the power of God working through them. And that doesn't just come because they said a prayer once in their life and went on living their life how they felt like it. It's because they submitted themselves to the process of God and, the, and sought transformation as God would have it. And in that, the power of God works through them. So the power of God is a motivator for us to seek and pursue transformation. And I want to remind, in all of these things we said last week, there, there are three things, three entities to keep in mind. That's God, God, that's you, and that's the community around you. And in all these motivators, all of those are in there. You see, 
motivated by the power of God. That's, that's God. I want to be connected with God. And so the focus is on God. But there's a, there's a piece of me that's, it's not selfish, but I desire to have the power of God in my life and to be changed by the power of God. But guess what? The third entity, the community I belong to, is affected when I'm transformed by the power of God. The people who are around me are also affected, and there's an influence there. And so all of these things, all three entities are involved. It's not, uh, it's not just me, or just God, or just a community. I hope I'm making sense this morning. So what, what are we motivated by? We're motivated by, God, uh, by love, we're motivated by the power of God. And then in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 10, which, oh no, I don't have a slide for. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I just had it in the wrong order or something, huh? Thanks for the team upstairs. I appreciate you. We are God's handiwork. We talked last week what this word handiwork means. And in, uh, the only other time that this word appears in Scripture is in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And it says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people or men are without excuse. What, what does any of that mean? See, we're God's handiwork, which means we're the product of and I made the analogy last week of the work done here on the stage by, by a, a few of the men in the church and said this is their handiwork. This is, we can see the product of their efforts. And so in Romans 1.20, Paul tells uh, the Roman people this, that God's divine nature, his invisible qualities are clearly seen in his product, in his handiwork, in the work of his hands. And he's referring to creation. But then in Ephesians, he says, hey, you are God's handiwork. You are on display. It's through God's divine work in your life that his attributes are on display to the world around you. You're his display model. I know it doesn't sound so exciting, but the, the world sees God. It gets an understanding of God through viewing the transforming work in your life. That's exciting to know and also a little bit scary as well. That we're his ambassadors, that we carry the image of God to a world that doesn't know him. And this is an important thing for us to understand. Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16 through 16. He said this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. We have the lights on here today. We hang them up high so that we can all see. It would be ridiculous if we hid the lights under the stage. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The good deeds, it's the good that comes from you as you're transformed. People see that and then they recognize that and they give God glory, not you. That's the, that's the goal in the transforming. We're God's display model. As we, as we have this transformation take place in our lives and as we're, as we're becoming more like God and in His image, people see that and they give God glory. If you're getting the glory from it, there's still some transformation that needs to take place. The purpose of the, the good work and the deeds and... and oh, let me pause here because oftentimes we think of this as the, uh, just the actions that we intentionally do. People see your good deeds and give God glory. Like, yeah, people will see that I fed the homeless. Or people will see that I, you know, I, I, I marched on a protest and stood up for justice. Or somebody will see that I, you know, I, uh, I, I went out of my way and helped that single mom do X, Y, or Z. Those are part of it. But it's talking about the all-encompassing what comes out of your mouth and what you do every day. Good acts and good deeds. The things you do when you're not thinking. Right? It's, it's all-encompassing. It's, it's not just a few that you choose, hey, in this act, I'm going to choose to display who God is. It's no, when you, when you wake up and you bump into your roommate in the hallway, or your spouse, and how you treat them in the morning, or when you, when you uh, work with your coworker and how you engage in conversation, or when you're at the grocery store standing in line, or you're driving your car down the road in traffic, and it's all of your deeds. And when people see that you were one way, and your deeds are being transformed into something different, they realize, wait a minute, there's something beyond Steve, or Malcolm, or Ben, or anybody else that's causing this to happen. There's, there's a driving force behind this. And then it's when they give glory to God in heaven. It's not through just acts of piety. Peter reminds us of this as well in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says this, Live such good lives among the pagans, meaning anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This was a huge message in the early church. Like, listen, you, you might disagree with somebody about how they live their life, their opinions, their thoughts, all that kind of stuff, but you know when you've been loved on by somebody. You can say, man, I, I don't agree with a thing they say, but man, that's a good person. They, they love me. They treated me good when I treated them bad. We all know when we've been loved, whether it's a stranger or a person super close to us. We know when we've been treated right by a person. And it's hard to argue with somebody who treats you really, really good that you disagree with. You ha it's hard to have a bad opinion of them. Right? Well, maybe it's getting easier to have a bad opinion of somebody who disagrees with you. But when you've been loved on by somebody, all of a sudden things kind of, right? This is what Peter's talking about. Live such good lives among them. 
that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, of saying, you know, they're whacked. That's not the only way to heaven. They're bigots, they're this, they're that. And you're like, yeah, but I've never been mistreated by one. So it, it, it's conflicting. And it's all about living in that way, about transformation and being God's handiwork. That they, they see God through you. And that's our third motivator. Why do we undergo transformation? Because we display God to a world around that doesn't know him. And guess what? It's not, just, it's not our words that convince people. In fact, that's the, that's the least thing on the list of convincing people. It's actually how you live. I know we, we love, I mean, I mean, this is like, social media is all about words. I'm going to post my opinions. I'm going to post these words. I'm going to convince somebody. I'm going to have a long rant on this social media post. I'm going to prove, boom, boom, boom. And how often does that change anything? Rarely, if ever. But when, we, when we're neighbors and I, and I you know, pick up the trash that uh, the seagulls knocked out of your bin, uh, that's not my trash. That's their trash the seagulls got into. We all know what it looks like when seagulls get into the trash, right? It's the most nastiest thing to have to pick up because it's everywhere. Right? And we just do acts of kindness to our neighbors because you know, God motivated. I'm not trying to get anything from them. I'm just loving on people. I'm being like God. I'm loving them even if I don't get love in return. Like they see that and then they understand like, well, that, that's how that Christian's acting to me. I wonder if that's Christ. So our motivators for transformation is love, the power of God and God's handiwork. This is why we, we engage in the transforming work. And there, there could be others. These are, these are what I see as the, the core things that Ephesians brings out for us. So if we're talking about transformation, do you all want to hear about Transformation. Because it is a topic that in our society we just reject outright. So it gets sometimes difficult talking about biblical transformation because it's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's not the promises and amens of God. It's not the spirit moving and giving me goosebumps and changing things. It's not giving me all my wants and my desires. In fact, it's just the opposite. But you know what? The world only changes when we submit to transformation and pursue it. So we can, we can fight on Facebook. We, we, we can yell at our neighbors. We can put signs in our yard. We can do all kinds of things, and the world not going to change unless you change, unless I change. God wants us to change. Because guess what? The prayer for God, come, change our community, change our society. Guess what? The answer to that prayer 
is sitting in this room and is watching online. That's the answer to the prayer. You're the answer to that prayer. And that only comes true when we pursue transformation. Because it's our transformation that changes things. And I hope you're motivated by love. I hope you're motivated by the power of God working through you, that you're not doing it in and of yourself. You're pursuing it, but guess what? You're, you're not the driving force behind it. You're just, the, you're just the valve that lets it happen. You can turn it off and you can turn it on. And just realizing that, man, God's, God's going to work through me to display who he is to the world around. So how does God do this? What are the tools that God gives us or that God uses for transformation? You're like, that's fine, Pastor Steve. I'm willing to be transformed, but how? Well, let's look at that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's not talking about so that you can be equipped to preach the gospel, although that's some of it. He's not talking about thoroughly equipped to go feed the hungry, right? That's some of it, or thoroughly equipped to stand up for injustice. Like, that's part of it. But we're talking about the every good work, the things that you do every single day that God is changing through you. What was the source of that? The Word of God. So the first tool that God uses is His Word. Because as you go on in Ephesians and you read chapter 4 and chapter 5, He starts to tell you what it looks like to be a transformed person. Paul gives us an idea. Hey, this is what transformation looks like. This is how a transformed person runs their home. This is how a transformed person engages in society. This is how a transformed person conducts themselves. This is what he begins to show us in God's word. So God uses his word as a tool to transform us, which is why Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and it's active. It's active because it produces change in us. It's like yeast. It's sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It says that this, this was written, yes, 2,000 years ago, but it's alive. Its words produce something in us. When we read it and we meditate on it and we, we seek to do what it says, man, it's, it doesn't make sense, but it just changes us. So in your Sunday school classes when you were little and when your pastor says you should read your Bible every day, it's, it's not just an act of you know, religious tradition that you need to do this. It's encouraged because this is alive and active and it produces transformation in you when you, when you read it and seek to understand it. It's not like reading homework, like zip. Like, oh, I gotta read three chapters today and learn this so I can get a good grade on the test. That's not the motivation for reading this. It's not like God's like, oh, yay, you, you read five out of seven days. You get a gold star this week. That's not what God is doing. 
He said, listen, read this. Invest yourself into it because it changes you. It's the tool that I use. Somehow it just unlocks the mind and the spirit, and you go, <gasps> like, I've been, I've been a pastor now for 24 years, 24 and a half years. And I still read this, and I'm, and I'm in awe of some stuff I read. God unlocks some things in my mind. I go, how could I, like, how could I have not seen this before? You say, well, how many times have you read some of these verses? I can't even count. I'm not really good at memorizing. Like, I know, like, oh, in Ephesians it says, let me find the exact quote. But it, it does something in me. It, it sustains. It, it, it transforms the heart and the mind. What's the second thing that God uses? Well, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. The power of God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So how do you access God's power? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So it's prayer. Prayer is trusting in the power of God. Right? Prayer is trusting in the power of God. Because if I can do it, I don't usually pray about it. I just go do it. But if I can't do it, I pray about it because I need some, some, some divine intervention. Right? Or do you guys pray about stuff that you can do on your own anyway? Like, Lord, I really need your help making these pancakes this morning. It's, right? We, we don't pray about stuff that we just do. We just jump in and do it. When you pray, we trust in the power of God. We say, Lord, I, I don't know how you're going to transform this mess. But you promised if I pursued transformation, you would, you would change me. It's my act of worship. I want to worship you. I want to show you that I love you. So transform this, this mess. Start somewhere. I don't, I, I don't know how you're going to do it. You know, there's a, there's a lifetime of baggage built up here. I don't, you know, I've tried years and years to get rid of this addiction or these thoughts or these way of thinking or whatever. We trust in the power of God. That, that when we pray, we give God permission to come in and do his work in our life and to transform us into who he would desire us to be so that we would be on display for the world to see of the power of God working through our lives. John also says this in John chapter 15, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. And then he says again in 1 John chapter 5, says this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, we know God wants us to pursue transformation. Right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you have a problem with something in your mind being renewed, you can go to God and say, God, would you please renew my mind? Transform me. You're praying according to God's will. You have confidence that he's going to answer. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. It's the power uh, of God through prayer that we trust in. Lastly, the third tool for transformation that God used, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Now, I'm very well aware that this is not preached in a lot of pulpits in today's age. Um, but it's in, the, it's in the Bible. So, what, is, what are we talking about suffering? If you know who Elizabeth Elliot is, she's a famous missionary, um, made famous for her husband and some of his friends, um, sought to um, evangelize the, uh, the tribe in Ecuador, and after making contact for months, their first meeting together, all of them were speared to death. And there's a book, Through the Gates of Splendor, where there's a movie about it too, that later on her um, and a couple of the other widows went down there and actually lived with that tribe who killed their husbands. And it's powerful. But that her life didn't end there. Uh, she, she was remarried. Um, her husband there died tragically again. She got remarried again. And, and she just endured a lot in her life. And she has a, a book out, uh, several books out. Uh, suffering is, one of the one I'm going to quote you from is, Suffering is Never for Nothing. And she defines suffering as this. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Let that sink in just for a minute. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. How many know if you have a physical illness or disease and you're suffering, you have something that you don't want? How many know if you, uh, in your life, if you've ever wanted to have children and couldn't have children, you are suffering because you don't have something that you want? You can apply all of life's suffering into this little equation. Having what, uh, having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. The thing is, God says he's refined us in the furnace of suffering. And there's something in the process of us having what we don't want or wanting something we don't have that, that changes us if we have the right mindset and the right attitude. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many know a trial is usually you have something you don't want? I don't sign up and say, hey, Lord, give me some trials. Right? Normally praying, God, take these trials from me. But when we have a trial in our life, it produces something in us. In fact, he goes on in uh, 10 verses later in verse 12, and he said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's saying, hey, when we persevere under trials, it does something. We earn uh, this, 
this promise, this crown of life, it, 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 it changes us. And there is so much on uh, suffering and its effect on us in the New Testament. We probably need to dedicate a series just to talking about it at some point. Because there's no way I can touch base and do it thorough justice today. But let me read to you Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Saying, hey, suffering does something in us when we endure in the right way. It changes us. Right? We, uh, as men, we love to quote the scripture like, as iron sharpens iron, right? Well, sparks are flying. That's, that's guess what? That's is suffering. That's trials. That's iron sharpening iron. Sanding stuff off. And there's something about uh, us enduring in the right way suffering that changes us. Now, let me make it clear. We don't pursue suffering. We pursue transformation. But we have to keep in mind that you will use suffering to bring about transformation. So we're not, we're not masochists or martyrs here where we go off and go, yeah, I'm going to suffer for Jesus because, like, no, 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 we, we pursue God, we pursue him transforming us, but we, we keep in mind that suffering is part of this. Jesus warned us about it. Every New Testament writer warned us about it. Like, hey, if you're going to be Christ-like, you're going to endure some hard stuff. It's inevitable. And we need to just walk into life knowing that if we truly want to be transformed, it's going to be some hard stuff that comes our way. And if we embrace it and we, and we come at it from the right heart and the right mentality, uh, that it will produce within us the transformation that we're looking for. So tools of transformation is the word of God, prayer, which is trusting in God's power, and suffering. I have a, um, a video for you this morning. It's I normally wouldn't play a video this long, um, but uh, it's, it's 10 or 11 minutes long. Um, but it talks about where we're at here, and it just kind of brings it into uh, a context that is, that is good for us to reflect on as we go into communion and as we think of that. So in a minute, we're going to, uh, we're going to watch this, but... I, I just pray you open your head and your heart this morning. Um, I believe with all my heart, church, that that the prayers that we've been asking, that you've been praying for society and change to happen, God wants to answer them, but the answer comes through our transformation. The answer, the answer is, isn't God just dropping a cloud and taking care of all the problems. The answer is, as we yield, as we submit, as we pursue transformation, it changes. It, it's our act of worship to God. It changes us. And then it changes the community we live in, whether that be our home, whether our workplace, our church, our neighborhood, and so on.
So uh, let's, let's watch, watch this clip from the skit guys. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa, who are you? I'm God, you said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer, that's how it works. Okay, okay, if you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what, I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do, it's a Greek word. Oh, okay, okay, um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters, it's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh, okay, okay, if you're God, who's gonna win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that, don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up, here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up, here we go. Okay. Oh, hey God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. Oh, the platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I gotta admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, 
It's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life, when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning... I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning... And I look at him in the mirror. And I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I, I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. 
And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at this as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. Church, bottom line is that God loves you. It drives him to do everything that he does for you. And that's part of, part of the curse, part of the devil's work here is 
for him to try to steal that idea from you. That you are loved by God. That you are beautifully, wonderfully made. That he desires to be in a relationship with you and it's not a, a dance to get the hug. And that his desire for you to be transformed stems from his love for you. That he knows what life is since he created it. And that his transformation process brings you from death to life in our thought process and in our thinking and in our actions. And the, the, the residual effect of our transformation is the change in the world around us. And I wondered if you were to, to be so bold to echo Tommy's prayer in the video here. To Lord, do whatever it takes to transform me into your image. I wonder where God would begin chiseling. And for so many years of my life, I saw the, the work, the chiseling of God as something to be avoided because it was painful. It didn't feel good. It... But it's that process that leads us to the joy we look for, for the peace we so desperately yearn for, for the wholeness and the fulfillment and, the, and who he's created us to be. Like Tommy, oftentimes we're afraid if, if God chisel, chisels away that, that veneer that I've placed outside for the world to see. You know, the little poser that I am, like the, like the Wizard of Oz the, Oz, the little guy behind the curtain, projecting he's somebody he's really not. What if that got peeled back and I was revealed to the world of who I really am? Fear drives us. Because what if the world sees me and I'm not lovable? What if I'm rejected? And God would speak to you today that those are lies. That He loves you before the transformation process even starts. That His love for you is not affected by your submission to transformation. His transformation offered to you is because of his love for you and how where it will lead you. And so today, can we, can we respond to the invitation from God, the thought that he loves you? And really receive and accept that in our heart. And then allow him to lead us in a transforming process that will lead us into being what we really desire for ourselves. I'm wondering if you'd say that, that prayer today. God, I want to I be made in your son's image. And I give you permission to do 
what it takes to get me there. I promise you if you say that prayer, the, as it said in the video, the process won't be necessarily filled with all good times. It'll be filled with hard times. But it'll be filled with joy as well. And peace. And in knowing who you are. The things deep down that matter. I'm going to assume that if you're here today and or you're watching online, that you want to be made in the image of, of Christ. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to take communion. And I encourage you that if this is, if that's your desire, that you just agree and pray along with me. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much. Lord, that you came to this earth and became a sacrifice for us so that we could be restored in relationship with God. That you suffered so much for our, on our behalf. And we recognize your great love for us and we, our response to you is love as well. And we know that one of those ways as an act of worship is just to be transformed. And we submit ourselves to the transformation process and we say we want to be made in the image of Jesus Christ. And God, we give you permission to do in us what is necessary to make us into that image. We receive your word today that we are loved that we are your masterpiece. We choose to believe those words over any other words spoken over our life. I just feel this morning that there's Part of the transformation process can be healing as well. I just believe that there's somebody either here in the room today or watching online that you're like just God wants to heal you today. Whether that healing is emotional or physical, God would say to you today, trust me. Trust that I'm capable. Pray and ask. Trust in the power of, of God. Lord, I pray anyone here this morning that is that is hurt, that needs healing, Lord, emotionally, relationally, physically, that, Lord, you're your power, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in us would bring healing to those situations. Church, when we take communion, it's... Um, 
Jesus told us to do it in remembrance of him. And some of that's just um, his sacrifice, his suffering, the work that he did on the cross so that you and I could be here right now. Feeling his presence and allowing him to transform us and heal us and live through us. So when we take communion, we, a couple of things happen. We remember him corporately. But then also we proclaim his, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension every time that we take communion together. And so today we want to do that together. We just want to remember him, his, his work in us, his transforming power. as well as the future promise that there will be a day that we'll be delivered from the presence of sin and we'll live with him for eternity. So if you're here live, if you peel off the top piece, there's a a wafer underneath. This wafer just represents Christ's body. That he he was physical person, had real flesh, and that he came from heaven, and he offered his body as a sacrifice for us. It was, it was beaten, it was bruised, he was susceptible to all the trials and the hardships that you and I could face, but he came and he offered it willingly. So it represents his body that was broken for you and for me. If you find yourself in this room this morning and you're broken, again, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, know that his body represents the brokenness that we endure and we face every day. And that he's with you. He understands it. He loves you. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. That even though you came from heaven and you're God, you became man so that you could understand, that you could feel, that you could identify with, with brokenness. So Lord, today, we thank you for your body that was broken and we eat in remembrance of you. See. Then the juice just represents his blood. His blood that was spilled for us. That might sound a little strange, but his blood spilled was the the price that needed to be paid to purchase our freedom and our life. It's what was required. And so when we drink We're reminded of his sacrifice, his blood spilled, his willingness to pay the price required so that we could walk in freedom, so that we could be in a restored relationship with him. And it's also a reminder for us of the future promises that that we've yet to obtain. And so when when we drink this juice, it's symbolic of his blood. 
And we remember all that Christ has done for us and, and is off doing currently 